If you've been around First McKinney for any time, you know that the name Jesus is engraved on the heart of our church. And God has been undeniably faithful as we have pursued His mission of making disciples who live and love like Jesus. I am walking right now on one of the historic locations for our church. In the 150 year history, generations before us made courageous decisions and sacrificed so that we can experience the ministry that is happening right now in and through First McKinney. Today, we have the opportunity to do the same for the next generation. We believe God has given us a very clear mission to make disciples who live and love like Jesus. Making disciples is multiplication. The difference between multiplication and addition is extreme. If there were some way we could add to the kingdom of God a thousand people a day, it would take 16,000 years to reach the world. But instead, if we could make a disciple who would make a disciple, just one every six months from your life. In 16 years, you could reach the world. Multiplication. And multiplication moves at the speed of relationship. We were made to multiply. We're at a crossroads moment in the life of our church as it relates to growth, sending capacity, and facility stewardship. And in order to step into the future that God has for us, it's going to involve courageous sacrifice and a step of faith. What a great responsibility to set pieces into place for future generations and to also foster growth with our present church partners. So we need to ask ourselves, what is God asking of me in this vision of our church? We believe God is calling us to multiply relationships, environments, and churches. And we are asking everyone at our church to answer this call. You were made to multiply. We were made to multiply. Good morning. Hey, I, I just want to also acknowledge the guests here in the room for just a moment. Yes, you came on that Sunday, but we are glad that you're with us. And I also want to just acknowledge with those of you who are part of our church family that this is a little bit different day for us. And maybe for some of you in the room, it even feels a little bit uncomfortable that, that we're talking about a commitment card and being part of a project moving forward. Today, We've already seen, we believe in our church, many who have gotten to participate in what God is doing through this project on a new level. Some have taken steps forward. Some have engaged in giving for the very first time in their lives. And so what I'd like to do this morning as we talk is I wanna talk about the primary motive for Christians to give. More than the project, if you've missed the last month, you can go back. We talked about the project for the last month in our services. A lot of information that's online for you if you want to look at that. But I want to talk about the primary motive for Christians to give. 146 years ago, this month, uh, our church moved into its first environment to steward our discipleship ministries here. Uh, our, our church had decided, the guy who was pastor at that point in time, his name was Dr. Buckner, has decided they were going to 
pay as they go and so that when they entered the building it would be all paid for and so they were uh, collecting offering as their church was only four years old at that point move into the building and it wasn't all paid for like that's just projects happen that way so Dr. Buckner invited a friend of his a guy by the name of Dr. Burleson who was president of Baylor University at that point where's the Aggie in the room Aggie in the room yeah, sick of, yeah, so Dr. Burleson was there and he talked to the church about, hey, praise God, we're, we're, we have this environment now to facilitate ministry. And it started to rain. Uh, and in the room, he joked, I believe, saying these words, and I quote, the Lord has shut us in till we get the money, unquote. <laughs> Some of you in the room might be thinking, is that what's about to happen right now? Is, 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 that was last week? Is that what you said? <laughs> so actually the service went long. I'll finish the story. Went uh, several hours and uh, they did say, hey, it's raining. We can't go home. So, and then they took up commitment cards and God provided uh, for the environment. I don't think there's any way that the church that day, some 146 years ago, could have imagined the tens of thousands of lives who have been transformed in our community through this church over the last 150, 146 years since that happened. I don't think the church at that point in time when they were making that investment at trusting God to make disciples, I believe through their offering, they could have imagined the global now impact of the ministries in and through the church over the last 146 years. What God has done in Zambia, what God is doing, and, so, and some of you are like, where's all the Moldova? Like, we have 31 youth, many of them first hour because they're high schoolers going to Moldova, 31 on the trip this week. What God is doing around the world in and through and has done, they, I don't think they could have imagined that. So I, for us today, I don't, I don't think we can truly understand when we invest in the kingdom of God, what God can do through this. I really don't think we can fully understand that. So is that the primary reason to give? Do, do we invest so that lives will change? Yeah, that's important. What's the primary biblical, even New Testament reason for us to invest in the kingdom. Some of you are gonna invest for the first time in the kingdom of God today. On the back side of our Multiply booklet, uh, many of you have these, have looked at it. We have the theme verse for the series. We've been walking through Mark, but we've put this on the screens. 2 Corinthians 9, 10, and 11. Paul's writing to the church in Corinth and he's actually in a two chapter section, he's challenging the church to turn in their commitment cards. That's what he's doing. I'll read you these words, I'll give you a little more context afterwards. He said, he who supplies seed for the sower, we didn't realize when we choose this or chose this as our theme verse, like that was gonna be the first sermon in Mark, sowing the seed. And bread for food, feeding of the 5,000 in Mark. will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You'll be enriched in every way to be generous in every way which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. What, what is Paul even asking the church to do? Well, if you look back, just for context, in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, Paul tells the church that there's a significant need 
in Jerusalem. He tells the church that in Jerusalem, the people, when they came to faith in Christ, they had become incredibly generous. And y'all know the stories if you read in Acts, like they, they started sharing everything. And then they end up sharing so much that they're in financial need. And so Paul, in 1 Corinthians 16, says, hey, here's an opportunity for us to multiply, for us to invest in the kingdom of God. And so I want you to start putting money aside, and then I'm going to come back and I'm gonna take your offering to the church. So now we're fast forward 2 Corinthians and we're gonna be in chapter eight. So if you wanna go 2 Corinthians chapter eight, we're gonna stop for one Sunday in our Mark walkthrough so that we can look specifically at a passage that's, that's addressing, I think, a church that's very much like ours. He writes to this church in Corinth, which is in a fairly wealthy metropolitan area, maybe it looks a lot like McKinney, and he says, okay, I'm coming back and I want your commitment card because this is an opportunity for you to invest. He's like challenging 100% of the people in the church to be part of this. And what he's gonna do first is he's gonna share a story about a church that's poorer than the church in Corinth and the offering they gave. And as we walk through this, we're gonna see, I think, the primary motivation for Christians to give. And maybe it's going to rock you a little bit because some of you either have heard about churches or maybe you grew up in a church that's going to teach you a different motive that he's going to refute early. So pray with me. God, I ask that you'd help right now in this time as we walk into a moment of offering for you and your glory. God, help us to walk into it with the right motivation. Pray that we give with the right heart right now for your glory. In Jesus' name. Chapter 8, verse 1. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. Macedonia was north of Corinth. It was an impoverished area. It says, for in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Okay, the, the first motivation for giving that maybe you've heard, and it's not the primary motivation in the New Testament for giving, is actually greed. Now, what do I mean by that? Maybe you've heard a church teach that if you give financially, you're going to get more financially back. If you give your Honda, this is the way I always say it, you're going to get a Porsche. Some churches have actually taught that. Why? Because the Bible actually, God says, the last chapter in the Old Testament, test me in this. Bring your, your offerings and see if I'm not going to throw open the floodgates. And there's another place where Jesus says, hey, whatever you give, it, I, that, that measure I'm going to use and I'm going to overflow back to you. And so some have said, well, that means if I give financially, God's going to give back. And sometimes he does that. Sometimes he does. In fact, even in our church, God has stretched me in the last month seeing stories in our church where God has done that at times. But that's not the primary reason we give. And even in this story, notice they're giving to the church in Jerusalem because the church in Jerusalem had given everything away. And if, if greed was the motive for giving, then the church in Jerusalem would be rich right now, Right? And then Macedonia, again, verse 2, in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty 
have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Uh, I don't want anyone to come forward today putting a commitment card in the basket uh, thinking, okay, I'm going to do this so that I get more back from God. He will give you more back. There's eternal rewards. If you're reading through Mark with us, this week we read about the rich young ruler. In it, Jesus said two different times about treasure in heaven that he wants to give you and I. But it's not, don't, don't enter this act of, that we're gonna do here in just a second with a greed mentality. Uh, if, if that's what you've been taught. Uh, he, here's something I read this week. Find it, here we go. Jimmy. I miss you bad. I think of you all day and all night long. You dominate my mind and I just don't want to be apart from you anymore. Jimmy, let's reconnect. P.S. Congratulations on winning the lottery. <laughs> we joke, but there's, that's, that's, there's that teaching out there related to giving. That's not the primary reason we give. It doesn't always work that way. God actually wants more for you than finances back. He wants eternal gifts for you. So that's the first one, uh, greed, motivating, giving. That's not right. Guilt also for some. Some in your life, you've been, you should give more. You should give more. You should, don't you feel bad about it? We're gonna put a basket up front so you'll feel even worse about not giving more. Guilt motivates giving for so many. And that's not the, read verse three. It says, for they gave according to their means, and I can testify, and beyond their means. Of, now watch, of me twisting their arm. Is that what he says? No, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us some have been taught the reason to give is because you've got to now there's a lot of commands in scripture around giving but the 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 new testament primary in fact there's only one imperative in all of chapter eight and i'll show you in a little bit only one command this is just paul trying to encourage the church to do something that they actually want to do that there's another it's not a, a when you understand what jesus has done for us this got to do moves to a get to do if you understand the motivation right I hope that no one comes forward here in a few minutes and puts something in the baskets out of guilt guilt because if if you do you're not you're missing what we're going to read next there's something going on in Macedonia there's something going on in Corinth that they're they're like please Paul let me be part of this and I'm seeing it so many in our church right now similar heart Keep going. What happened? Well, oh, I, verse five, they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God does. This is the way it works. As you, you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, then something happens. You start loving your neighbor as yourself that God that gives starts giving through you and you start loving others. And verse six, accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of what? grace but as you excel in everything in faith and speech and knowledge they're really good at bible study in corinth in all earnestness in our love for you see that you excel in this act of what grace how is giving an act of grace keep going with me 
I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. Verse 9, for you know the, what's the word? Grace. You know, why? what's the primary motive for Christians to give? For you know, for you know, this is why, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Do you know what grace means? Grace means one-way love. Some people have been thought to, that, that I need to give in order to earn God's favor. Some, some people have been taught that, that you, hey, if you want God to love you today, make sure you give enough. And maybe if you give a whole lot, you, you, you'll, you might even get him into heaven. Is that what the Bible teaches? No. The Bible teaches about the grace of Jesus Christ, his undeserved favor that he shows us. How did he show it to us? Well, there is a real kingdom and a real king. His name is Jesus, right? He's the Christ, the Son of God, and in his love and by his what? Grace, what did he do? Well, he tells us what he did. It says, our Lord Jesus, though he was rich, he had everything in heaven, Philippians 2 tells us. And he humbled himself, he emptied himself. Why? For your sake and my sake, he became poor. What do you mean poor? He, he gave everything up in heaven to come live a life and suffer and die in our place and then rise again so that you and I can have the riches that he had in heaven with him. That he became poor so that you by his poverty might become rich. Okay, so you're thinking, Sam, this is the only place in the Bible I've seen this taught. No, it's all over the Bible. Grace, by the way, shows up 10 times in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, the longest two chapters in the New Testament on giving. It's his commitment card, and it's all about grace. And, and do you know that this is what Paul teaches throughout the New Testament, and Jesus also points back to that, that we have this, Paul, earlier in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he says it's the love of Christ that compels us. When he would write a letter to the churches, the general churches, Paul would always start his letters telling them all about what Jesus had done for them. The first half of the letter, Romans is more than half, we walked through last year saying, hey, look, God loves us. He sent his son Jesus to die for us so that we as sinners can be rescued and be with him in heaven. Then he says, okay, and that God who gives knows it's better to give than receive and he invites us into responding to him. He teaches the indicatives of the love of Jesus before the imperatives of our response. Every time, y'all see? So what, what, what are we trying to say here? Okay, you know, it's not guilt that motivates our giving. It's not grace, uh, it is grace. It's not guilt that motivates giving. It's not greed that motivates our giving. It's grace for the Christian. Grace, grace, grace motivates our giving. Y'all know that the theme of the Bible is not what we give to God, but what God has given to us. And then in his love for us, knowing it's better to give than receive, he welcomes us in to the way that he set up the world for him to enjoy giving. He's invited us now into this incredible opportunity to be part of giving for his glory and his purposes. Grace motivates giving. I'm to try to illustrate it on a much smaller level here. 
I've gotten to watch over the last few weeks as my incredible bride, Rebecca, has shown selfless love to someone in our home and has really been on the front line, one-way love, grace-giving, pouring out for this person. And as she does it, you know what happens? I see that love and I like, I wanna love her back. Now, I could love Jesus, you're not Jesus, wow. Love Rebecca selfishly, right? Because if, if I do a lot of right things, I might be rewarded, right? I, I could love Re- Rebecca guiltfully. Man, I should be a better husband. I'm sorry I didn't do that right. Is that, the, is that how she wants me to love her? No, and it's also not, when, when I'm doing it that way, it's not really love, is it? But when, when I see the love that she has and the, what, the love that she extends, and that just overwhelms me and shows me, the ama- I, you know what happens in me? I, I want to love her back. It's, I, okay, in a much bigger way. She doesn't want, God doesn't want your greed gifts, your guilt gift. He wants you to see the love that he has for him, for you that he sent through his son Jesus and we get to respond. That's why giving is an act of worship. We're gonna get to do it here in a minute together. Grace, grace motivates our giving. He humbled himself, became obedient to the point of death. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. For our sake, he made him who knew no sin to become sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That is what motivates our giving. So, what does Paul do then? He just said, it's it's grace, undeserved favor. Why would we do anything back? (laughs) Well, grace motivates us to do something back. And he's gonna move then, and I'll just, this is how we get to close here, and we get to be part of this here in the room here in a minute. And we get to move from this motivation to demonstration. He's already said, as he pointed to the church in Macedonia in verses six and seven, he calls giving an act of grace. That you and I get to demonstrate grace when we give in response to his grace. So grace motivates our giving. Giving demonstrates grace through our lives. And here's what he says in verse 10. And in this matter, I give my judgment. This benefits you. And it does. He doesn't want something from us. He wants something for us. Why would God create the world the way he did if giving selflessly is not satisfying? Like God set it up so that he could do it. And then he sets it up so that we get to do it in response. This is something he wants for us. He says, this benefits you who a year ago started not only to do this work when I let you know, 1 Corinthians 16, about this opportunity, but also to desire to do it. You have a desire. Now, let's move from desire to completion. And y'all know, so many, I've yet to talk to someone here in the church that doesn't think we should do this. Every person I've sat down and talked to said, I I really believe in what we're doing. Now, maybe there's someone out there, you just haven't talked to me yet, that thinks this is stupid. That let's, let's invest in the next generation, let's multiply disciples, let's grow churches, let's, we're by the way through that church's line, that is also our beyond missional offering line as we increase our giving to missions through, through we're not, 
in years past, if you've been part of our church, we've had a season where we, we raise additional funds for missions. That's part of our multiply offering. We're going to talk multiply again this fall, and the people that haven't been part will get to talk about the mission opportunities that God is doing through multiply. We're not, this is, we're, that's, this, we're giving above and beyond. What, every time we talk about something like this, people are like, I want to do that. But there's a gap between a motivation and a, so often, demonstration. And today we get to close that gap. Today you and I, in our lives, we get to move from desire to completion, from intention to action. In verse 11, here we go. So now, here's our imperative in all of chapter eight, one thing he tells the church to do. So now finish doing it as well, so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. Church family, we get to do that. We get to right now move from motivation to demonstration. We get to complete as we've prayed over, we've asked everyone in our church family to have a personal encounter with God as it relates to their giving, to ask God, what do you want me to do? And as you've prayed, now you're taking a step of faith and it is a step of faith. And it's personal, it's personal for, for our family, right? This is not just a place that I get to serve and work. This is the place that disciples my children. My daughter was baptized right over here a few years ago and she's in Costa Rica right now on a mission trip. This, this, what we are doing right now, what we are doing right now is personal to me, it's personal to you. And what we do as we worship is not out of guilt, it's not out of greed, but we respond to the grace of Christ. Pray with me. God, I pray right now in this room and online. I think online they're gonna see a little QR code for those of you online. If you wanna do it that way, you can join us in worship. God, I pray as we do this, that we could truly respond to your generosity here. God, that our hearts before you would be right. That we, would, we, we could, as an offering of thanksgiving and worship, come back to you and we say, God, use this for your glory. Multiply disciples for your kingdom. We ask you to do that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today for Worship Online. If you're in our area, we want to invite you to come to physically connect to your local church. We would love to help you to live and love like Jesus alongside of others who are doing the same. If you're from outside of our area, can I challenge you to find a local church in your area that's going to preach the Bible and exalt Jesus? Smash the like button, subscribe, share with friends, and turn on notifications if you'd like to stay up to date with us. And thanks again for joining us.